genre. podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Nick Jimenez. And I'm Scott Corelli. And today on the show we'll be discussing The Keys of Marinus, the first doctor's sixth story, but we're doing the last three episodes because we did those last week, the first three. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I got there in the end. Yeah. Can you tell which parts of that were not scripted? (laughs) No, I'm a consummate <laughs> professional. <so. laughs> uh, How dare! <laughs> so oh, when we man. so when we last left our heroes, they had just left. We 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 just left the temple level, right? Right. Yes. The temple okay. level. Now we're in. Now we're in. We're on the ice level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and um, picture, if you will, like like 16 bit Ian and 16 bit Barbara getting like teleported to like an ice level, and then you know that thing in a video game where you're like, and they're like in mm-hmm. idle mode. Yeah. Oh man, this would be. This would be. You could you could adapt this story really well into like an 8 bit side scroller. Oh yeah, man! You're looking for like five keys the whole time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh man, that's good. The Keys of Marinus Part Four, directed by John Gorey. Script edited by David Whitaker, written by Terry Nation, produced by Verity Lambert. Air date, May 2nd, 1964. Ian and Barbara teleport to a snow-covered wasteland and soon pass out from the cold. They wake in a hut that belongs to the trapper, Vassor. After questioning him about their missing friends, Vassor says he saw Susan and Sabitha in a nearby cave. Ian volunteers to go get them and trades his travel dial for some furs to keep warm, leaving Barbara in the hut to wait. In order to keep busy and be a polite guest, Barbara clears away some clutter and finds the chain with the keys that Sabitha was wearing, along with four other travel dials. Vassor catches her snooping and tells Barbara that he left the other travelers to die, and that is his plan for Ian, too, and then moves to attack Barbara. In the wilderness, Ian finds Altos tied and left up for dead. Altos tells him Vassor did it. Ian frees him, and they return to the hut just in time to stop him before he can reach Barbara. They force him to return the keys and lead them to the cave where the missing girls are. Meanwhile, the two girls have been exploring the ice caves and have discovered a large block of ice connected to a series of pipes, all guarded by statues of soldiers. Scared of the statues, they run out of the room, only to meet up with their friends, who have just crossed a rickety bridge to find them. Vassor unties one end of the bridge and flees, leaving the group trapped. While Ian and Altos work to make another bridge out of tree branches, the others find the next key frozen in the large block of ice. They remove the key by turning a dial on one of the pipes, which releases hot water from a nearby spring and melts the ice. The heat also revives the ice soldiers who chase them out of the cave and back to Vassor's hut. 
Vassor is killed by the ice soldiers as they try to break in, and the travelers activate their dials in the nick of time. In the next location, Ian sees the last key in a display case with a dead man lying on the floor nearby. He tries to help the man, but is knocked out by an unseen assailant who steals the key and then frames Ian for the murder of the man on the floor. So yeah, the snows of terror. Part four. The snows <laughs> of terror. The screaming jungle. It's like a, it's like two bags. One with all like adjectives and one with like just random stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. The snows My of favorite terror. title is the next one. Yep, 100%. <laughs> uh we'll get there though but yeah so the snows of terror um so we 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 meet our heroes and they are uh in uh, below zero temperatures outside uh and uh rather than try to find shelter uh barbara decides that she's just gonna go ahead and take a little nappy nap um (laughs) it's it's amazing barbara like carries her right is that this part I'm sorry. No, Barbara, I said. Barbara takes oh, me, a yeah, nappy my, nap. My bad, my bad. I was thinking of Susan <laughs> taking a nappy nap. There's a lot of naps in this one. Yeah. Uh, so so Barbara takes a nap, and when she wakes up, uh, a big guy in furs finds her and takes her to his uh, to his uh, little cabin. Um, and there's this phenomenal exchange. It's like my favorite thing ever where he goes, are you afraid of me? And he, she's <laughs> like, she goes, no, I'm not afraid of you. He's like, I once broke a wolf's back with my bare hands. Are you afraid of me now? <laughs> oh, it's, man. It's, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> it's like something Dwight would say to Pam on The <laughs> Office. <laughs> I once broke a wolf's back with my bare hands. Are you afraid of me now? <laughs> His name is Vassar, right? Like the school? Yeah. Yeah. So uh so Ian uh Ian's Ian finds them and and uh he's just like uh you know, we're, like they are, they need to go and um find the key, but he's like you stay here because uh you're a woman and and whatever. You, you I don't know. know. Whatever uh, weird, I don't have time for the whole deal right now. Politics were happening at the at that time. I just thought about a lot of let you do stuff. Oh, <laughs> so, so he goes out and and uh, and the uh, the uh, wolf killer. Uh, he's like, here, here's this bag wolf, of supplies. Wolf breaker, Scott. Let's, let's yeah, give wolf him. breaker. That's true. <laughs> wolf breaker gives him a bag of supplies, and Ian's like, oh great. And then he leaves, and uh, and. The, the Wolfbreaker's just like, actually, I'm a bad man. <laughs> and, I, and I gave Ian, I gave Ian a little surprise <laughs> in his bag of supplies. Oh, that's great. Uh, and, and it turns out that he gave Ian a bag of raw meat he just <laughs> to attract wolves. It's just all wolf-based. It's just a bag full of raw meat. He like, like, oh, damn it, and throws it. Yeah. <laughs> The the uh, Vincent Price guy hurts his legs. Altos, his little, yeah, yeah. Altos hurts his little his little scrawny chicken legs, uh, and, <laughs> and and uh, and Ian is like helping him warm them up 
uh, and just like giving him a real nice rub down on his legs. Uh, and he's like, he's like, oh, I bet I've got something for this in my bag of supplies that Wolfbreaker gave me. And he goes in there and he's like, what's this raw meat doing in this bag of supplies? Yeah, then you just hear distant wolves. And then, like stock wolf howls. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And then he's just like, oh, that. That that trickster wolf breaker, he must have used it to attract the wolves. You know, they can smell raw meat from over three miles away. <laughs> and he's like, well, he wasn't prepared for my left arm. And then just throws the bag of raw meat into the distance and then they run away. My favorite part is the like the sound placement, because immediately after he throws the, the sack of meat, there's like a wolf howl. And it's like. I always read it as Ian hit a wolf in a face in the face. <laughs> yeah, everyone. Yeah, and, and I guess going back to you know, it, it sucks. Susan doesn't get her like freak out badass moment the way that that both Barbara and Ian do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just would have made the story that much stronger if they had done you know find something kind of cooler for her to do. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, I mean, I don't think Terry Nation likes Susan much. Mm-hmm. To be honest, because she's always getting touched by things and getting creeped out by them uh, in all of his stories or falling asleep at dinner and having to be carried over mm-hmm. by Barbara or or falling in love and staying with him forever. Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's him, too. Right. Yeah. He wrote Dalek Invasion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. So anyway, so there's an ice cave set uh, that is pretty great, actually. Um mm-hmm. I actually like the uh, the ice cave or ice dungeon or whatever it is that they're in. Um, it's just it's so funny. Like this is this is like my probably my favorite uh, sequence in here, just because the uh, the ice cave. It's literally like a dungeon in a Legend of Zelda game. Mm-hmm. Like there's puzzles they have to solve. It it kind of reminds me of uh, the end of Last Crusade a little bit. Yes. Um but there's uh there's there's guards that they think are statues until they go to grab the key and then they come to life and they're like, "Oh my god, they're alive." They never looked like statues. They looked like human beings wearing clothes uh standing on either side of the keys. <laughs> they are all wearing um like medieval armor too, which yeah. is really cool. <laughs> medieval armor mixed with like uh, like es- like Eskimo attire, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's like this weird it's like this really interesting combination of things um, and it's not even like proper medieval armor it's like monty python style yes armor. It's, right it's very like again like kind of what you would imagine in like a if you're if you're playing a dnd campaign you're like yeah you know a knight <laughs> and the guards are really bumbling like they keep having like comedy routines like <laughs> There's a bit where they have to, they crawl out of the cave and uh, and there's a there's a Brit like this rickety like cheap cheap ass bridge that they have to cross that is just the saddest set I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but they're they all cross the bridge and then the the, the which guards is a great moment unto itself. Yes, definitely. But then the the guards come out and they they just start like <laughs> walking to the edge and then turning around and then bumping into each other. Like, <laughs> It's like a it's Three scary. Stooges routine. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, and that's the thing, is it just there's always something else going on. It really does feel, you know, uh, it, it feels like a little punny, but it, it it feels the most like a serial. 
that I've seen mm-hmm. of, of of this part of the show where it's like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then and yeah, there's not a lot of substance to it. There aren't a lot of big ideas explored, and none of these characters. I mean, we'll always remember Vassar and and Altos, and the <laughs> wizard, and the, the, the Gary the snail people. But like, yeah, you know, it's not exactly the the best the show has to offer in terms of that. Wolf Breaker. Well, yeah, the Wolf Breaker. He's the new Pex. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then they go back to the Wolf Breaker's place, and and they're gonna they're like, all right, well, we're gonna leave. And he's like, like hell, you are. And he grabs <laughs> Susan, of course, because poor Susan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always her. It's always her. He grabs her, and then the 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 ice guards uh, stab him through the door, uh, and he dies. So. Yay. Yeah. Stabs him in the back. So anyway, he's dead and then they leave. Uh, I'm so no. mad at Ian for breaking the first rule of girl code, which is like, don't leave your, your lady friend alone with a strange man. Yeah. In a cabin in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah especially yeah. that lady friend and that man. I know. In, in that wilderness. <laughs> oh, man. The Keys of Marinus Part 5. Directed by John Gorey, script edited by David Whitaker, written by Terry Nation, produced by Verity Lambert. Air date, May 9th, 1964. When the travelers reach the next location, the city of Millennius, Ian finds himself accused of murder and the theft of the last key. Unfortunately for Ian, the legal system is, quote, guilty until proven innocent, meaning Ian will be sentenced to death unless he can provide proof that he didn't commit the crimes. He asks the doctor to serve as his defense. As the doctor gathers evidence, Susan and Barbara investigate one of the guards as a potential suspect. They go to his house and talk with his wife, Kala, who gives away nothing. The guard arrives and angrily tells Susan and Barbara to leave. They do so, but before they get too far, they hear arguing and a loud slap followed by a scream of pain from Kala. During the trial, the doctor calls Sabitha as a witness. He tricks the guard into confessing by saying that one of the keys they had recovered previously is actually one they found in the guard's hiding place. The guard confesses, but is suddenly shot and killed by another unseen person before he can say anything else. As the doctor finishes, Barbara, Sabitha, and Altos are taken aside by one of the officers in the court, who tells them they have a phone call. Barbara answers. It is Susan who tells her that the murderers have kidnapped her and they are going to kill her if they don't stop investigating. So my favorite part of episode five, uh, (laughs) sentence of death, (laughs) which is it, it, I, I love it because it's so melodramatic for like literally just stating what it is. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, and but it does feel it does feel quite apropos because sentence of death to me could also sound like a really vague, melodramatic, like courtroom, like John Grisham novel. And that is exactly what only this episode is. Yeah. (laughs) Guys. So and so we had like three episodes, four episodes of like D&D, Dungeon Crawler, Mario. And now all of a sudden it's like that Nintendo DS game where you're a lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> uh phoenix something phoenix, yes right yeah phoenix right yeah. yeah uh i only know that from my gamestop days um it happened. <laughs> yeah uh 
so yeah, this is uh, basically Ian uh, appears inside what looks like a, uh, a jewelry store, um, <laughs> uh, and then we we find out that it's actually a vault, a very cheap vault. Uh, but he appe- he appears in this place, and there's a dead body on the floor, and he's like, "Oh, that's weird, a dead body." And then he gets hit on the back of the head, and uh, and when he wakes up, the the key that was in the vault is missing, and uh, he has been accused of murdering the dead body that was in the room. And uh, on this planet, uh, you are guilty until proven innocent, which mm-hmm. is a form of logic that is not carried through to the rest of the story because honestly, if you're guilty until proven innocent, like everyone is guilty. If you accuse them of anything and they accuse lots of people of lots of things and no one is guilty until proven innocent. Just Ian. (laughs) Just Ian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's ridiculous. It doesn't, the logic does not carry through at all. Oh, Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't, but the doctor returns (laughs) finally. Hello, I'm the guy yeah. who's in the show. He's going to be a defense lawyer. There's that funny thing where he goes, he goes, do you have somebody who could come to your, def- do you know anyone in town who can come to your defense? And he's like, yes, I know someone. And the guy goes, who? And he goes, ha, who? I'm the doctor. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, a, it's a joke just for us, the audience. <laughs> it's so small. It's especially when we when we know what's to come with the Moffat era, where it's just like in neon lights, right? Mm-hmm. Huh, oh, that's my man. name. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so, got to do court stuff. Yeah, so he comes to his defense, and uh, I just there's so I I should say I have a lot of trouble watching uh, courtroom stuff because I watch so much. I've watched so much of The Good Wife and I watched The Good Fight now. Mm. And so I watched so much court stuff that is really, really well written. Right. Yeah. When, when the doctor is literally like, yes, I would like to request uh, two days uh, to uh, put together a defense of the case. And then, like, the prosecution is like, no, he doesn't need to put uh, a defense together. That's ridiculous. And the judge is like, no, I, I, you know, I think we're going to give it to him. I think we're going to give it to him. And then the prosecution <laughs> literally comes over and is like, is like, I'd just like to congratulate you and shake your hand. Uh, Nothing <laughs> do you any good. And I'm just like, literally, this is like the, just the most base level thing you could possibly ask for at a, in a court. It's. It's it's just so funny. Oh man, and it was, it's treated as like a big dramatic, hmm. like a big dramatic, uh, like oh you you used your your intelligence and and wile <laughs> to outsmart the judges, doctor. Let's see this defense. <laughs> <laughs> My God, it's like one step uh, above you're a crook, Captain Hook. <laughs> Whenever I think about this story, I always refer to it as the one where the doctor is Atticus Finch. Right. Because, yes. like, I don't know. This you know, episode, it's... for some reason, just is the one that sticks out in my head. But what's great <laughs> to me is you can remember this as the episode where the doctor becomes Atticus Finch. And I can remember this as the episode where Barbara beats down like slugs to death <laughs> with zero mercy. And we're both equally right. Yeah. 
because it's not really about either of those things either. It's about and I think a quest and to I get think keys. of it and I think of it as the one where the bearded man broke Wolf's back with his bare hands. <laughs> And we're all correct. All of those things are true. So you can see, guys, why we're such a big fan of this story. Yeah. It's true. Uh, <laughs> this, yeah, the, what was interesting about this one, and, and honestly, just just a little disappointing is that uh we don't that this 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 story the the court the court story last two episodes like yeah it's like have, why, mm, yeah we yeah we don't have yet another crazy story for the final one it's just more yeah of there's no like lava level or like <laughs> moon base level it just yeah the like court yeah like it's such a weird thing and yeah, the, the fun does kind of stop here a bit, unfortunately. I mean, there is still some crazy parts, but it's more in the vein of your classic Doctor Who classic story where, yeah. you know, they're in one place and here are the characters and one of them is lying and they got to uncover the lie. Right. It's Yeah, it's definitely a little more bog standard Doctor Who for the rest of the story, but it's it's still fun and it doesn't make a lick of sense, which makes it even more fun. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, because again, I, I, I just I really need to really hammer this home. All was needed to to prove that he was guilty was an accusation. <laughs> but they accuse lots of other people of things and they they are innocent until proven guilty. But Ian is guilty until proven innocent. This world and its legal system does not make any sense at all. It's Wonderland. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, off with his head. <laughs> um, oh man. Uh, oh, oh yeah. And then my other, my ever, my my favorite uh, fun with props moment is uh, the phones that they're all talking into are just like they look like uh, they look like hair curlers. Like they look like they're <laughs> talking into a hair curler, like a, like a, <laughs> yeah, like a hot hair curler. You know. Um, oh man. It's so funny. I I just I love that. It reminds me of uh, when uh, Qui Gon talks into the ladies' razor in uh, Phantom Menace. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, but yeah, they're they're just trying to figure out who actually did it, and and it's it's so weird. It's just it's weird because like not not only do they have to to uh, prove they have to prove who actually did it because they can't prove his innocence. There's no way to prove his innocence because he's already guilty in their eyes. So the only way to prove his innocence is to prove that someone else is guilty. Uh, it's a very strange system. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they're, they're just, uh, you know, following the clues Mm. and figuring out what's going on. Uh, at one point the doctor goes into the vault and has Barbara reenact what must have happened. (laughs) And then figures out that the only possible person who could have done it was the guard that was uh, in the room with him. It's fair, I guess. Sure. Uh, it's just, it's a lot. I mean, you didn't have to do all that. Like, it, it was so <laughs> funny because he's like, he's like, oh, I figured it out. I'm going to show you by <laughs> making you reenact it. Yeah, that kind uh, of feels like a lot of these la- of these last couple episodes, which is like, you didn't have to do all of this. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. It's true. The Keys of Marinus, Part 6. 
directed by John Gorey, script edited by David Whitaker, written by Terry Nation, produced by Verity Lambert. Air date, May 16, 1964. Barbara, Altos, and Sabitha decide not to tell the doctor that Susan is missing and instead visit with Kala to see if she has any information on who might be connected to her husband's death and Susan's kidnapping. She breaks down into tears at the questioning, but then laughs as soon as the trio leave. Susan is tied up in another room. Kala takes a phone call from someone, saying that Ian has been sentenced and Susan can now be disposed of. Barbara realizes that Kala must have taken Susan hostage, as the woman had mentioned Susan's phone call without any of the travelers having mentioned it. They return before Kala can do anything to Susan, and Kala confesses to killing her husband with a hidden gun. Susan remembers that when Kala was speaking on the phone, the man on the other end of the line said that he would retrieve the missing key later that night. The doctor and the court officials wait where the doctor guesses the key must be hidden inside the murder weapon being used as evidence in court. The doctor is correct, and the criminal turns out to be the court prosecutor. Ian is freed, and they return to Marinus with the final key. Altos and Sabitha were sent ahead of the party with the first four keys, and were captured by the Vord, Yartek, who killed Arbitan. Yartek attempts to get the location of the last key out of the two of them, threatening to kill Sabitha if they don't give him the information. Altos tells him that the last key is with the doctor. After arriving on Marinus, the doctor and his companions split up in order to find Arbitan, Altos, and Sabitha. Ian and Susan find someone who appears to be Arbitan, but his face is hidden beneath the hood. Ian gives the figure the last key and goes to find the doctor. The doctor and Barbara have found the two prisoners, who tell them the Vord have taken over. Ian says he gave the hooded figure the fake key from the jungle. Sabitha warns them that the fake key will cause the conscience to explode, and the travelers run for safety. Sure enough, when Yartek puts the final key into the machine, it explodes, destroying him and all of his forces. With the machine destroyed, the doctor says the people of Marinus must now find their own answers, and the TARDIS crew leaves on their next adventure. Uh, so, episode 6, we find out that there is... Uh... There are two killers, and one is um, just like Scream. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like a this wife who she's like a crying mess, and then they leave, and she just starts evilly laughing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I am, I like this woman. She's cool. <laughs> <laughs> she's just like a total sociopath. <laughs> she goes into the room with with Susan, who uh, she has kidnapped, and she's just like. She's like, those were your friends. They came by to see if you were here. I told them they weren't, and they just left forever. <laughs> You're going to die here. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> oh, it's the best. Continuing yeah. Susan's just, she's not on the fun V in this one. No. No, no she, is not on the, she is not in the fun V. Oh, man. She's definitely uh, writing in. Uh, the humdrum V. Yeah, the humdrum people. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. So this is uh, this one. This one takes a while. Um, there's you can kind of hear it in our voices. <laughs> yeah, I mean this this one. Uh, you know, I mean it's it's so weirdly structured because it's like they only needed a little bit more time to finish up the story because mm-hmm. uh, you know it it wraps up in the first like ten minutes. Yeah, um, they they figure out that she did it, 
and that uh, her accomplice was uh, was it the was it the it was the prosecutor, right? Yeah. 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 So the prosecutor was the other the accomplice, the other murderer. And um, they found the uh, they found the uh, the key hidden inside the mace, uh, which is the only way he could have gotten it out of the vault. And uh, so they they got the keys and then they're leaving. I just love that all of these places are just like, you know, oh, yeah, just go ahead and take that. That's fine. Right. It was in a vault. I mean, it seemed like it was probably important. And you're just like, yeah, sure. You can have it. Oh, no, you're fine. fine. I I don't care. I just. Yeah. That's not what I was about. (laughs) We're just keeping that vault. Um, Yeah. So they take the key keys back and. uh, the uh, the 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 guys are uh, I, from one of the best I could tell. It was like they used the keys and then the place blew up, and they were like, "LOL, all right, bye everybody." And they left. I still like, I have no idea what the supercomputer does yeah. or why they need the keys, and they like plant the fake key on the head, Batman flipper guy, and then he puts the fake key in the thing, and it explodes, and I don't. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, we never find out what the supercomputer does. So it it blows up because of the fake key, and then uh, and and the doctor just like <laughs> I switched it out for a fake key. Which, by the way, I was like, when did you have the time to make a fake key? Well, no, they found the fake key in the jungle level. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because the guy makes all of the the traps and the the wolf yeah. breaker. So yeah. Ian's like, oh, I gave him the fake one. LOL, we should leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ain't I a scamp? Let's go. Yeah. And then they're like, bye. And then there's like that really weird moment where uh, uh, the Vincent Price guy and his girlfriend are like, all right, bye, guys. And then they leave. And then Barbara's just like, I'm really going to miss them. I'm like, no. Bull. Bull, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> You are never going to think of them ever again. <laughs> now, the girl, home girl, girl, girl from Marco Polo, she was cool. I, I'll remember her. I don't remember her name, but she was really nice to Susan, and I remember that. <laughs> it's true. The, these guys I, were not even the most memorable parts of this episode. No, no, far from it. Um, yeah, but uh, she was very distraught, and then Ian just like, you crazy woman, get in here. She's uh, like, okay. And then she goes and they go. This isn't sustainable. Yeah. And then they just repeat the opening miniature shot in reverse. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it really, I don't know if this story is more than the sum of its parts, but I do enjoy the parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the parts are fun. Uh, the sum of its parts, maybe not the best. Yeah, because it is, it, it doesn't, it isn't really about a lot. It isn't, it it's not really staying focused and that can be a good thing and a bad thing. And then it doesn't end in the most exciting way possible. So I don't know. It kind of feels like a parent telling a bedtime story and it's just like, Oh, the kid's still awake. I <laughs> uh, go to ice planet and then uh, Ian goes to jail. He gets a murder rap and they got to beat the murder rap. <laughs> Susan gets taken again. Uh, it really is. It really does seem like, Terry Nation is just really making this up as he goes along. Oh, um, I love it, though. I love it so much. <laughs> I know. It's so great. This is actually uh. the story that I wrote for in that Outside In book with the classic who. Oh. Um, yeah. Oh, you, you should pimp that. Yeah. Um, it's Outside In. 
<laughs> I think it might be out of print, actually, the Boom. first one. Oh, Bosk. Yeah. Well, it's Bosk by ATB Publishing, so check yeah. that nonsense out. Yeah, Cass is in the first one, and I'm in the second volume. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, may there be feathers in both of your caps. <laughs> uh, but I didn't get to. What What did you do for that one? What did you What did you talk about? Did you just write it like a normal essay, or no? It's. Uh, I was talking about how, because this is one of the few Terry Nation stories that aren't about Daleks, so I was mm-hmm. mostly focusing on that. Oh. And even then, there's like an echo of Dalek in this. Mm-hmm. With the rooms, like the brains in the jars. <laughs> the rooms. They weren't called rooms, or were they called. Rude. Vords? Vords. Vords? Batman flipper yes. dudes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh boy. Well they're called they're called street meat now that Barbara's done with them. <laughs> oh, I'm just I just read this uh I just read this. I just read this description of of uh of this uh story on this page and it just says uh many dangers lie between the companions in each key. Hypnotic monsters, killer plants, <laughs> ice zombies, and finally a charge of murder. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like, this is such a weird story. So, so yeah, so so I, I guess listeners, if you're if you're looking for like entry level classic Who, I think this would be a really fun place to start. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, because it's not it doesn't it doesn't feel like a long story. Like this was six parts, and I felt like I was just breezing through it. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it just there's so much plot in it that it just it just burns through. Um, God, imagine each one of these being like their own four part story. No, thank um, you. That's uh, the key oh, to right. time. Yeah, I was gonna say that's the key <laughs> to time. They did do that. High five. And it was bad. Um, oh man, <laughs> the key to time. Like this oh, to God. me felt more like an adventure story, whereas Marco Polo just felt like. Like like the first adventure stories, like Rudyard Kipling and Alan Quartermain, where it's like, and then we mm. camped for nine months. Yeah. This was much more like, yeah, I like this. <laughs> it was fun. Someone died of dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your water, Marco Polo. <laughs> oh, man. So next time we talk about the first doctor, uh, it's going to be time for uh, the Aztecs. The Aztecs. Right? Yes. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. I wonder if it'll um, be uh, historically accurate. <laughs> well, I wouldn't hold my breath. That's where I come <laughs> from, you guys. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. <laughs> I'll come cool. I like Rodel Dorado. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, keep on trucking. Uh, next next week, we're back with the, the first half of uh, the Faceless Ones. With the second Doctor, is is this any is this a construction at all, or is this just a cl- straightaway episode? I think it's uh, all there. Yeah, sweet. Maybe I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. Is this the one where um, I don't honestly? I have no recollection of this episode at all. So I have no memory of this. Place. Yeah, right? I don't either. Um, which doesn't fare well for it. I think it's Ben and Polly's last episode. Hmm. That. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Do they both I die? Might, I think you might be right. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does exist. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. So it's real. We get to watch it. Ben and Polly. And then it's just Jamie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, ooh, written by uh, Malcolm Hulk, the uh, the Hidden Planet guy. I knew that name sounded familiar. I was the like, greatest he must idea have ever for Doctor Who. Oh, uh, can the you? Oh man, uh, just perfectly the opposite of the sun. <laughs> just the trolling, the trolliest planet. Oh man, yeah, you can't see me. It's it's incredible. Uh, so anyway, next week we'll be back with the faceless ones. Uh, first half of the faceless ones. And in the meantime, you know, join Facebook. Check out all that stuff. Check out our Patreon page, juliegenre.com slash support. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll add a, maybe I'll add a, uh, a stretch goal to make our hiatuses between seasons shorter or something. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Something. You get what you give. Yeah. Right. So right now, <laughs> this is what you get because we, we can't afford to do it any more often than we do. <laughs> It takes a toll. Um, it is nice to be back, though. It is nice. I li- I miss talking to you guys about Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So and anyway. this was a great way to kick it back off. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Absolutely. So uh, hopefully the Faceless Ones is good. I don't remember a thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> which, which isn't great. But at least on the other side of that, we've got the Mind of Evil to look forward to. Which oh, that is, is good. That is aces. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's what she says when someone touches her like food. <laughs> oh, man. My God. <laughs> that's aces. That's aces. <laughs> well, it sure is. And then they eat it. Um. <laughs>